I'm so glad to see you all. I, I, it, one of the sweetest things about being away was how much I missed being here on Sunday mornings with the church family. Isn't that great? Yeah. Makes me a little emotional actually stand over there and watch you all worshiping Jesus. It's the greatest thing. So, so glad to be back. I'm going to try my best today to get through my sermon, all right, without totally losing it. And also to tell you, hopefully, a few of the most critical stories from my time away. I went away on sabbatical. By the way, uh, ushers are coming down the aisle right now with Bibles. You are going to need a Bible in a moment in John 10. So if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. And uh, we'd love to give that Bible to you as a gift. I left for sabbatical on June 16th. Kathy and I drove out of town. And I was on sabbatical for almost eight weeks. I came back. Last Sunday was my first day back. And the time away was so abundantly rich that I've had a hard time figuring out how to describe it to you. Uh, people have asked me basically two, two questions that I'm going to answer. The first question is, did you get restored? Did you rest? Did you heal? And what I want you to know is abundantly so. It was an absolute blessing. Thank you. Uh, the very first thing we did is Kathy and I spent about three and a half weeks just on vacation. We just spent time together. We tried to go back and learn what it's like to spend time together, not hooked up to a chemo infusion machine. That's as romantic as that is, you know. We were like, what does it look like to just be husband and wife? Uh, one night we spent out at Skamania Lodge. We went up to Spokane and spent time with my brother. We went out to the beach for a week and a half, and we, we just enjoyed each other's company. We sat on the beach on July 4th and watched fireworks. It was very romantic. It was wonderful to spend time with my best friend. And then on July 12th, I drove up to Canada, and I spent about 17 days in solitude. Uh, I just spent time with Jesus, which if that sounds like a long time, it was a long time. Uh, in fact, one of the craziest things that happened in my time, I basically did not talk for 10 days straight except for ordering a latte. I mean, you got to live, you know what I mean? You got to survive. So I, I, that's all I did to the point where uh, one night, I'll tell you this story later on in the fall, but I took one of the regent professors out for dinner on day 10 and my vocal cords were so weak that I lost my voice in five minutes. My voice was completely gone. Your voice is a muscle, you know? And I had not exercised it, just spending time with Jesus and it was so rich and it was so beautiful. The other question that people have asked me is, did you get a word from the Lord for our church? And what I want you to know is I did not go on sabbatical asking God for that. I had no expectations, but I did get a word from the Lord for our church. In fact, I got several. But this morning, I'm just gonna share one in obedience. I'm gonna read you a verse that I feel like God said, this is a theme verse for the next couple of months. I don't want you to turn there. In fact, later I'm gonna tell you what to do with this verse. All I want you to do right now is receive this verse as a vision for your life from this moment moving forward. It's from 2 Corinthians chapter two. It's the apostle Paul. And here's what he said. But thanks be to God who in Christ Jesus 
always leads us in triumphal procession and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. I want you to just think about that verse. In fact, Chris, you can leave that up there for just a minute. Leave verse 14 up there. We are the aroma of Christ. Thanks be to God who always leads us and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ. I want to ask you a question this morning. Is that verse true of your life? Or to put it very bluntly, do you smell like Jesus? Do you smell like Jesus? I'm not asking if you smell like religion. I'm not asking if you smell like a church. I'm asking when people are around you, do you smell like Jesus? Do you remember in the book of Acts when John and Peter are out and they're doing ministry and people are astonished? Acts 4, 13, read it later. People all around the city recognized these men have been with Jesus. They smell like the closet. They've been in a closet praying and they smell like it. And what I want to encourage you, I feel like this is a vision. This is a mission statement for our church over the next few months, especially leading up to Connect Sunday and the fall and everything that God is going to do this fall in our community, in our city, through this congregation. God is saying, River West, I want to spread the fragrance of Christ through your life and through your ministry. Amen? Will you write that down? I want you to write that down. 2 Corinthians 2. If you consider River West your church home, I want every member of our church to write down those verses, put them on a three by five card, take them, put it in your Bible and begin praying about it. In a couple weeks, I'm gonna do more with that. All I, in obedience, all I'm doing this morning is sharing what Jesus told me to tell you. Amen? Amen, write that down. All right, so here's what's gonna happen today. I, I, I had three things I was gonna do. I was gonna share that word. I'm gonna preach a message in our Jesus Is series. And then at the end of the service today, I'm actually, I need to ask for your forgiveness for something. That's gonna happen at the very end. But first, we're gonna get into the word together. So we grab your Bible and open to John 10 with me. And we continue in this amazing series Pastor Eric launched a couple weeks ago, the seven I am's. We come now to the fourth I am statement and it's in John 10, interestingly. I have a slide I wanna put up that shows you all seven of these I am statements. Um, we'll, get to, we'll get through all of these before the summer's over. But uh, you'll notice two of them come from John 10. Last Sunday's message, which was amazing, I'll, I'll talk about that in just a minute. I am the door, that's in John 10. And then the one we're gonna focus on this morning where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. And so will you read it with me now? John 10, I'm gonna start in, I'm gonna start in verse one here and we'll read a few verses together. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, 
but climbs in by another way. That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. And then we just drop down to verse 11 for a moment. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. There it is. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. That's our theme for this morning. Jesus is the good shepherd. Arguably, the most powerful metaphor in all of scripture for the relationship that Jesus has with a local church family. I am the good shepherd. The sheep respond to my voice. What I love about this series, Eric, I almost called Eric Jesus. That would have been interesting. Uh, Eric started out and said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look to Jesus, these identity statements. I'm the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. We're not just going to learn about the identity of Jesus. In the process, we're going to learn about the identity of ourselves. And even what it means to be a church. Have you ever thought about this? What is a church? Like, how would you describe a church? How would you describe the church? What is the most fundamental truth about our identity? How about this? A church is a flock. A church is a family of believers. But not only that, and this is Jesus' emphasis, a church is a family of believers who love the sound of the voice of their shepherd. That's John's emphasis. Did you notice that? How often he repeats, it's about his voice. The sheep, they love the sound of his voice, fundamental to the relationship that River West Church has with Jesus Christ. The most important thing about that relationship is the way we respond to Christ's voice. Sheep love their shepherd's voice. They recognize his voice. They follow his voice. And so this morning, my sermon, really what I want to talk to you about this morning is what I'm going to call the familiar voice. I want to talk about the familiar voice. Have you ever experienced the soothing feeling of hearing a familiar voice in your life? Kathy and I, when we started our dating relationship, way back, we celebrated 28 years of marriage on Friday. So this was like a long time ago, way back before cell phones, way back before uh, social media, we started our dating relationship long distance. She was down in California. I was up here. 
And so for two whole months, I had to be away from Kathy. And we got on the telephone, all right? These were not cell phones. You paid for long distance. And my mom came in and yelled at me with a $500 long distance phone bill. These were the days when your phone was connected to a cord, okay? This was like a Molly Ringwald movie, like 80s rom-com, where you take the phone and you hide in the bedroom. And I would talk to Kathy on the phone for hours. And you know what happened? I started becoming so familiar with the sound of her voice. And Kathy just has this soothing, it's like listening to Kathy's voice is the most amazing thing. It's kind of sexy. That's for another sermon. That's later. But I just love the sound of her voice. You know, when I was on sabbatical for 18 days, I was away from my best friend. And what I would do is I would get on the phone every once in a while just so I could hear the sound of her voice. And you could put a thousand people on the phone with me and I would recognize immediately, that's not my wife. That's, and then you could put Kathy on and, and I could go, there she is the sound of her voice. And so here's my question. How familiar are you with the voice of Jesus? How familiar? Do you recognize it? Are you so accustomed to his voice that you could pick it out from the voice of strangers? See, when it comes to the voice of their shepherd, Here's what Jesus is saying. Sheep, they're really about three things. I've got a slide for this. This is, my, this is my sermon. Sheep are about three things when it comes to the voice of their shepherd. They listen for his voice. They follow his voice. And they know his voice. Listen and they follow and they know. It seems so basic, right? But here's the problem. We move past basic stuff all the time. And we don't let it hit us. So I just want to... I want to have you dwell on this for a minute. Number one, sheep listen for his voice. Look at verse three. There's something going on here. It's very, very profound. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. So notice, sheep don't recognize their shepherd by his appearance. Isn't that interesting? They don't recognize the shepherd because they're looking for him. They recognize their shepherd because they're always listening for his voice. This is fascinating. Sheep live their lives with their heads down. They're consumed with their next meal, which is a great description of the life of the average American, right? We just live our lives with our heads down in the grind. You got to get to the day. That's sheep. They live with their heads down, but they're always listening. And the moment their shepherd speaks, their heads pop up. In the first century, a single sheep pen would hold multiple flocks. So this is really interesting. At night, shepherds would come from all over. They'd bring all their sheep into one sheepfold. So you, in any given sheepfold, you could have five to 10 flocks that would intermingle. And then the following morning, the shepherds would come back and the shepherds would stand at a distance and they would start calling. And the sheep would organize and separate themselves and go to their own shepherd. Isn't that amazing? 
my wife follows a farmer on Instagram. And this woman, she's so hilarious. She has a great sense of humor, but she has sheep and she's named every single one of her sheep and she calls them by name. And the names are absolutely ridiculous, okay? So she'll stand, she'll like to shear the sheep. She'll stand there and she'll say, Mel Torme. And then the sheep will go, Bleh! and the sheep is like, and it's like, why did I get that name, you know? And then it walks out and they shear the sheep. And then she's like, Gandalf, you know, Bleh! and he would walk out, Dolly Parton. And I watched that and I was like, these sheep know their name. That's incredible. And did you know, I don't care who you are, Jesus knows your name and he's calling you. Jesus knows, even if you are not sure yet where you stand with Jesus, did you know something? that Jesus doesn't even need you to be ready because he already knows your name and he's calling you. He's calling you. So here's an identity statement about a Christian. Listen to this. A Christian is first and foremost a listener. We're listeners. Listening for the voice of the shepherd. Isn't that great? Do you remember at the transfiguration when Jesus went up the top of the mountain and he was transfigured and a voice came from the cloud and the voice said, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Remember the voice of the father? And do you remember what the father said next? The three disciples are there. They've had this powerful vision. This voice comes from a cloud. The voice says, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Anybody remember what the father says next? Listen to him. What? He could have said, worship him. They would have fallen on their faces immediately. He could have said, imitate him. And they would have gone out of their way to do it. But God in his wisdom said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Listen to him. That is the fundamental aspect of your relationship with Christ. Listening. How many times have I thought, God, I just want to hear your voice. I want to hear a word from you. And then God in his gentleness convicts my heart and says, really though, are you actually listening for my voice? Are you really listening? When I was on my sabbatical, one of the most powerful moments happened on a day when I was fasting and I had a really interesting experience with fasting. And I realize fasting for many of you sounds very strange and maybe it's something you've never tried. I'm gonna talk more about fasting this fall because I believe it's one of the more powerful spiritual practices. Fasting, I feel like, is like the gasoline that you can throw on the fire of other spiritual practices. I'm, I'm reading the Bible or I'm spending a day in solitude. If I add fasting to it, it just fuels what I'm doing. And I had a moment when I was fasting one day where God was extremely clear with me about some stuff. See, I used to think that fasting was primarily about every time you have a hunger pang, it reminds you to pray. And then that's true. There's no doubt about it. You spend a day fasting, you're going to have hunger pangs. And if you pray every time you have a hunger pang, that's a powerful thing to do. But there's something deeper. 
So then for a while I thought, well, fasting is really about me recognizing that what I'm really hungry for is deeper connection with Jesus. And that's true also. But there's something even deeper. And this is my point. On this particular day when I was fasting, God revealed something to me. I realized when you're fasting, what happens is all of the things that you actually desire in your life come to the surface. All of the, all of the, the passions that are really the most basic thing in my life. Those, you know those things that we run after to self-soothe? The next meal the next daydreaming about how much money I might make, the next moment to think thoughts that I shouldn't be thinking. What happens is when you're fasting, all of those idols, all those things come bubbling to the surface. And whereas normally on a day where you're not fasting, you can distract yourself by planning your next meal. When you're fasting, you just have to sit there in the presence of Jesus and say, I just need to look at this. And God... God said, you are constantly running to the next thing. Do you really want to hear my voice? Because I want to speak to you. But it takes a little time. And so I'll ask you, are you listening for the voice of Jesus? In a moment, I'm going to tell you some really practical stuff about how to do that. But just ask yourself, am I actually longing to hear his voice? Because look what he says next. Because sheep are listening, the moment they hear the voice of their shepherd, they follow him. Look at verse four, I'll put it up here. So unlike Western shepherds who drive their sheep, often using sheep dogs, in the Near East, both in the time of Christ and today, shepherds lead their flocks. They go out front and they call their flocks on. Their voice leads them. Verse four, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Why? Because they know his voice and they follow their shepherd. It's a beautiful picture of the fundamental nature of the church in relationship with our shepherd. We are followers, River West. I am a follower of Jesus. You are a follower of Jesus. And our church family, our fundamental goal in this life is to follow our shepherd, amen? It's amazing how basic that sounds, but wait a minute, think how many times in human history the church has gotten that turned around. We're supposed to be following Jesus, but how many times and how much heartache has the church caused in history by getting out in front a human agenda, a human crusade, a human political ideology, a human social uh, cause, and human beings make that their mission and then they take Jesus and stick him as a hood ornament at the front. And Jesus is saying, I've got nothing to do with that. And it causes hurt. I'm so thankful for Pastor Eric last Sunday and his wisdom to talk about church hurt. Wasn't that an important sermon to hear? If you missed that, go back. Eric and his wisdom said, we gotta talk about church hurt. It's a real thing in our world. 
And think how often it's caused by the church getting ahead of Jesus and then asking him to follow their cause. And what I want to do this morning is I want to add one more sort of statement about church hurt that comes from this text, all right? It's, it's just an important addition to the idea of church hurt. And I'm going to read a couple things off my notes because I want to make sure that you don't hear anything that I'm not saying. So listen carefully. Church hurt, it's a real thing. But listen to this. Jesus himself never causes church hurt. Never. Jesus can't ever cause church hurt. He's the good shepherd. Amen. He leads people. Jesus, when, when Jesus is leading someone, he never hurts them. He leads them into green pastures. Human beings cause church hurt. Broken, fallen humans. But there's something else I want to say. Listen very carefully. If a church opens God's word and they faithfully and lovingly teach what the scriptures say about sin, about the demands of the gospel, about the ethics of God, and people leave that church because of that kind of teaching, that's not church hurt. That is not people being hurt by the church. That's people being offended by the gospel. And Jesus promised us that would happen. Amen? He promised that. And that's a really important thing. So if we follow Jesus and we obey Jesus and we open the Bible here and we talk about the way of Jesus, by God's grace, we'll minimize church hurt. But that doesn't mean we won't offend people with gospel truth. And the key is, look at verse four, the key is why do sheep follow, why do sheep follow their shepherd? Because because they hear the sound of his voice. They're following his voice. This is my third point. Look at this. They know his voice. They recognize it. There's a sensitivity. There's a familiarity that has been cultivated over time through experiences with Christ and his perfect shepherding. Trust and intimacy gets formed. And this is why sheep won't follow a stranger, right? Look at verse five. It's such an interesting contrast. Suddenly Jesus says, this is why sheep won't follow a stranger because they don't recognize his voice. Isn't that amazing? There's a really interesting play on words there. Look at verse, look at verse five and then I'm gonna show you something. Up in verse one, do you see the phrase, um, the person who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way? That's the Greek word alos. The word for shepherd is the same root word. It's the word alos. So a stranger is... It's another wayer. It's an other wayer. It's somebody who is claiming that they maybe speak for Jesus, but they're trying to lead people on another way. They're a stranger. 
Isn't that interesting? River West, can I tell you something? You already know this. Jesus is not the only voice out there trying to get you to follow. There's a lot of voices out there. There's a lot of gurus. There's a lot of influencers. There's a lot of people with a million followers. There's a lot of people writing books. And every single one of them wants you to follow their voice, right? And some of them claim that they speak for Jesus, but they're strangers. And the question is, can you recognize the voice? Go, I don't think that's the voice of Christ. Amazing. And Jesus even goes on. He says, it's not just that they won't follow, they flee. They flee. I watched a video this week of a shepherd in Norway and his flock was out in a field and he had taught three strangers the the call that he would give. And so they had this whole crowd standing there and you could hear people talking because they're all filming this moment. And one stranger steps up and does the call. I don't even know what it was. It's not like speaking in tongues in Norwegian. And the sheep are like, whatever. And they're just eating. And then someone else steps up and says it. And then a third stranger. And then suddenly the shepherd steps forward, says the exact same thing. All the sheep go, whoop. And they just run into their shepherd. And the stranger's voice, they're like, I don't even recognize. I have no interest in that. And if the stranger pursued or tried to force them, the sheep would flee. Look at verse five. They would actually flee. That word is really strong. It means run for your lives because this person is a wolf in sheep's clothing. Run for your life. This is powerful. And here's how you do it. The way to do it is is to become so familiar with the voice of Christ that you immediately recognize the counterfeit. Amen? You just, you spend time with Christ. You spend time in your word. You're so soaking in the word of Christ that when you hear a counterfeit, you know it immediately. During our sabbatical, Kathy and I went out to lunch at a kind of a fast food restaurant and I handed the, I handed the teenager a $20 bill. And this teenager looked at the $20 bill and she was like, I can't accept this, it's a counterfeit. And I felt like she was accusing me of being a criminal. It was like the most awkward moment. I'm like, I am not a counterfeiter, okay? And the thing about it was she was totally wrong. I took the bill into the bank and it was actually a genuine $20 bill, okay? But that is the way that bankers recognize a counterfeit. Have you ever heard this? They don't study counterfeit bills. They fixate on the real thing to the point where when someone hands them a counterfeit, they see it immediately. And this is what what Jesus is saying. You become so familiar with the voice of Christ that strangers are, you, you feel it, they're strange. So I come back to where I started. How do, we, how do we get there? How can we get familiar with the voice of Christ? Well, here's what I wanna give you a couple really practical things and then I'm gonna tell one more story from my sabbatical. I want you to think about the following three questions, okay? You're not gonna, you're not gonna become familiar with the voice of Jesus on accident. You won't stumble into this. There's a few things I want you to think about. Number one, How's it going 
with your devotional Bible reading? How's that going in your life? Right? And what I mean by that is, I don't mean um, reading the Bible once you're here Sunday along with the pastor. That is really important. I'm talking about those moments early in the morning or late at night or whenever, and you open your Bible and you're reading devotionally. You're reading in prayer. You pray before you read. Anyone can do this. You don't have to be a you don't have to have a theology degree. You could pick up the Bible for the first time tonight, say a prayer, open to a gospel, the gospel of Mark, read, and you could read devotionally. There's no substitute for the word of God, just soaking in the word of God. Amen? And having an original experience with it. So think about this. You can only go so long drafting on what someone else writes about the Bible. Other people's books are amazing. Read them. But if I'm reading all these books by amazing Christian authors, but I'm never actually going to the source to have my own devotional, there's just no substitute. Could God speak audibly? Yeah, he could. But you know how God most often speaks to you, the word of Christ? Right here in prayer. I read a passage God speaks to my heart and I learn to recognize his voice. It's so beautiful. That's question number one. Question number two, do you have Christian community? Like real Christian, I'm not asking, do you have Christian friends? I know you do. I'm asking you, do you have community? Are you regularly with people who know you? who could ask you a hard question, people who, 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 who love Jesus and love you and they spend enough time around you that at times they could even serve as God's messenger in your life. I'm really thankful for Pastor Derek because he's teaching these two classes that we're gonna host in our church called Introducing Community Class. And I, I love Derek's vision for this because Anymore in our culture, people aren't used to community groups. It's a foreign concept. So Derek wants to offer a class and say, what is the biblical sort of basis for a community group? We're gonna have two of these. One of them is August 8th, or it's August 20th. That's next Sunday at 1245. And then there's one in September on September 6th. That's a Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. You can go online and you can RSVP and sign up for these. I really encourage you, if you're not in, if you're not in a small group or, a, or the River Bible study and you, are just, and you know I'm not connected to other Christians deeply, come learn from Derek about why community is so important. Do you have community? And then finally, and, I'll, and then I'm, I'm gonna close here. Do you come to church on Sundays? expecting to hear the voice of Jesus. Do you come to hear that? When you're you're coming to worship, what are your expectations? Because Jesus is here and Jesus is speaking. And you know the old saying, you get out of it what you put into it? You know that saying? Same thing goes for church. If you were on your way to church praying, God, please speak to me. I need a word. I need wisdom. I need help. And you cried out to God all the way here and you walked in. I have a feeling that is a prayer that Jesus loves to answer. Amen. 
Amen. Come to church expecting to hear the voice of Christ. And now I need to ask for your forgiveness. So Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. In fact, look at verse 11. Here's what he said. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Now look, this is powerful. This is about Jesus. And the number one trait of a good shepherd, Jesus, the good shepherd, is he lays down his life for the sheep. And we know this is how the church has understood this. That's what makes Jesus our perfect good shepherd. But it's also a passage about true Christian leadership, sacrificial leadership. We know this because Jesus compares himself to hired hands who are cowardly at times, who make it about themselves. And what happened to me on my sabbatical was one morning I woke up with the words of John the Baptist ringing in my ear. I woke up and the moment I woke up, I heard this phrase from John the Baptist. He's talking about Jesus. This comes from John 3. He must increase and I must decrease. He must increase and I must decrease. And I woke up and that was just like rattling around in my heart. And the thing about it was I hadn't read that verse. I hadn't meditated on that passage. I, I was not even anywhere near that part of the, of the Bible. I woke up that morning because God in his providence had a word for me that day. I wrote about this in our current, our newsletter. So if you have not read that or you don't get the current, I encourage you to go online and sign up to get the current and you can read the whole story. Here's the point of the story. Throughout that day, Jesus dealt with me and it wasn't a happy moment, okay? This is not Adam standing before you telling you how spiritual I am. This was, this was Jesus saying, John the Baptist lived his life with this mission. He must increase and I must decrease. And for 10 hours straight, Jesus just convicted me about moments in my life and ministry where I've turned that around. And I need to ask for your forgiveness and say no more from now on. Jesus Christ is gonna get all the glory, amen? And not just in my life, hopefully in yours as well. He must increase, I must decrease. And so under the full account of the elders and in full partnership with all the pastors in our church, no matter what it costs us, no matter how much we need to offend or be bold or take a stand or unashamedly talk about the glory of the gospel, from this day on, he must increase and we must decrease. Amen. Yeah. Amen. We pray with me. We'll take communion together.
As the worship team comes, I'm just gonna invite you to sit for a minute and I wanna go back to where we started. Thanks be to God. You always lead us. And specifically, you're leading us to spread everywhere the fragrance of Jesus Christ. May we do it well, Lord God. I pray that in our community, people would recognize they have been with Jesus and I can smell it. And so, Father, convict our hearts. May we learn to love the voice of our shepherd together. Give us courage to follow you, Jesus, no matter how much it costs us. We love you. We go to the table this morning as a celebration. The good shepherd laid down his life for the flock. And we eat and drink together in remembrance of that. And so Jesus, to you be the glory. Pray. Everyone said, amen.